Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Talitha Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Talitha Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helps severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. On this episode, very special episode for you, we have the authors of a new book, Cobble, the untold story of Biden's fiasco and the American warriors who fought to the end. Joining us are Jerry Dunlavey. He is a... uh, Work. He's working on the Afghan Withdrawal Committee for the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He's speaking today in his capacity as an author of the book. And James Hassan, former Army officer, served in Afghanistan and an attorney and a writer. Gentlemen, honored to have you both here. Thanks so much. Hey, it's great to be here, Buck. Thanks for having us, Buck. So, James, let's let's start with you. What, what do you want everyone to know about? Actually, let's start with this. What happened? Because I'm sure that's what the book's about. What happened in Kabul? Tell me about this withdrawal. Yeah, the uh, I mean, it was it was nothing short of a horror show, really. And it you you could you could start 
a few months before the withdrawal in terms of all of the mistakes that the Biden administration made. But uh, yeah, to, 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 to cut to the chase, the two weeks of the evacuation itself were just the American people and American soldiers and warriors at their best and the American government at its absolute worst. And these, these guys were working 18, 20 hours a day. Some of them didn't sleep for 72 hours. Uh, they watched babies get trampled, people get killed. They were exposed at all times uh, to uh, what, what inevitably ended up being the suicide attack that occurred on the 26th. And they knew that. And they continued to try and rescue Americans and rescue uh, our allies at the same time. And throughout it all, they, they, they weren't just battling with the crowds. They weren't just scanning for threats. They were trying to overcome the Biden administration's just toxic combination of ignorance and self-assurance that hindered everything at every step along the way. You know, Jerry, we were in, I mean, I was in Afghanistan uh, over a decade ago. We were there, U.S. military, U.S. forces of different kinds were there for 20 years. And then at the end, it felt like someone just turned the lights off and everyone was just made a run for it. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, you know, obviously a 20 year war, um, more than 2,400 Americans killed throughout the war Um, and mistakes made for 20 years, to be sure. Um, You know, there's there's no doubt about that. But this decision what Joe Biden decided to do, um, a swift and immediate uh, military withdrawal, retrograde, um, and closing Bagram, um, which was our strategic base uh, in Afghanistan, and uh, forcing us to have just a tiny, tiny troop presence in Kabul to keep an embassy and an airport running, Doing all of that, cutting the, you know, what was a very shaky Afghan military, of course, cutting them off completely from U.S. uh, troop support, advisors, logistics, supplies, intelligence, air support, all things that the Afghan military was completely built around and designed to function on. Doing all of those things, ignoring the... Uh, you know, the, the growing strength of the Taliban, deciding to do all of this withdrawal in the middle of the Afghan fighting season, a fighting season that we have known about for 20 years and fought in for 20 years, and picking September 11th, the 20th anniversary, basically just a bizarre date to pick, but a date that he picked because he wanted to. It wasn't a strategic reason to do this. Doing all of these things without figuring out How are we going to get Americans out? How are we going to get our Afghan allies out? The tens of thousands of Afghan allies that worked as interpreters and worked alongside our troops for 20 years, people that we made promises to. Doing all of this stuff um, without coming up with a plan about how are we going to save Americans if this all goes south? How are we going to get our Afghan allies out if this all goes south? And of course, very predictably, we would say, I mean, James and I were talking as all of this was happening, saying, Taliban's going to take over this year. I mean, it's happening. It's happening quick. 
Um, and of course, all of these bad decisions lead to a rapid Taliban takeover, Americans left behind enemy lines, Afghan allies stranded all over the country, the U.S. having to rely on the Taliban to provide security outside of the airport. And we see how well that worked out with the suicide attack by ISIS-K that killed 13 Americans, killed close to 200 Afghans. And I don't want people to forget this. Outside of the 13 Americans who were killed, you know, we had 45 Americans wounded as well. Um, Tyler Vargas Andrews uh, lost an arm and a leg. Um, there was a female Marine who is currently paralyzed because of this. Um, so these are, these are real costs. And then, of course, the cost to America's standing around the world. So, you know, that that's what this book is about. And I think that that we just lay it out like an indictment. It's airtight beyond any any doubt at all that that this was a disaster and that this was this was Joe Biden. Um, he might not be in control of everything in his White House, but this was his decision. And, and, but to, to, if you allow me, I'd like to piggyback off that just a little bit. Sure. Uh, to Jerry's point, there was you know, th- this wasn't the case where nobody saw it coming. They were warned repeatedly that this would happen. And in fact, they still refused. The State Department refused to draw down the embassy to warn Americans to get out, um, to take any kind of precautions like destroying sensitive documents, which included the identities of all of the Afghan allies that we had. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of talk about the, you know, the descent cable that uh, a, a few people from the embassy sent, um, from the embassy in Kabul sent uh, to the State Department in DC saying, they're going to, the Taliban is going to take over and the embassy is going to be overrun. And that, that was in uh, July of 2021. But that was, um, you know, that, that followed a whole ton of other intelligence reporting. And the interesting thing is that the two officials that took the lead in that descent cable, those were Obama administration national security council alums. They, I, I, but they were completely ignored. And so while we had only a thousand troops there, we had 2,400 diplomats and we had 10,000 Americans. And uh, it, uh, it, it just completely um, devolved into the exact situation that anyone who's been there and any military professional predicted. Now, there were efforts that, if, if memory serves, that were made even among people privately um, outside of official government channels to try to help evacuate some of our personnel from across the, the spectrum. What can you tell us about that? What I, yeah, I can tell you a lot about it, uh, in part because I, I had a small role in, in taking part in those efforts uh, when that was happening, just among fellow vets, uh, but then also from talking to all of the different groups that were involved. And... To give you an example of the the state of play in August 2021, the chief of staff for Special Operations Command Central, an Army Green Beret colonel, was texting veterans groups, just a disparate ad hoc groups, asking for help getting us out because our special forces were overwhelmed trying to save as many Americans as they could, and they still didn't get all of them. Uh, And... Uh, those efforts 
where they saved a whole lot of lives and um, rescued a lot of souls that would have been uh, just uh, in, in an awful circumstances, tortured and killed by the Taliban if, if they hadn't done that. But they also continued after that. And I think that that's one part. We talk about the Biden administration getting in the way over and over. Um, I'll, uh, I'll let Jerry jump in here in a second. But um, the Biden administration loves to claim that they rescued the interpreter who helped save Joe Biden in 2007 when his helicopter was forced down in Afghanistan in a snowstorm. He was abandoned. He wrote a, a Wall Street Journal article under a pseudonym, um, and he later got out in uh, October of November of 2021. They didn't have anything to do with that. Those are private veterans networks, intelligence community, uh, you know, former intelligence community officials. They, they, they claimed credit for it. They didn't have anything to do with it. And in fact, they uh, disrupted the organization to such an extent that they, they placed the lives of the American volunteers and everyone else at various safe houses in danger. And I'll, I'll let Jerry jump in and, and provide some of the specifics on that. Yeah. So, yeah, Joe, Joe Biden's interpreter um, was, of course, was one of the was one of the tens of thousands of Afghan allies who was left behind. And um, he basically he, he got out through the efforts of these networks of private individuals, a lot of them veterans, some of them not. And uh, he uh, this this interpreter made it out with his family. Um, with his family, um, only because of the efforts of these private groups. And then, like James said, uh, the Biden administration, you know, claimed credit for um, getting him from Pakistan to the United States. But it was the it, it was these veteran it was these private groups that got him out of Afghanistan. And the Biden administration's um, effort, they some of the people involved in getting this uh, Biden interpreter out would say the State Department's interference. Um, put their broader uh, mission um, at risk and put their the safe houses that they had set up for other Afghan allies at risk as well. And the, the bigger point here, why these private groups, why these veteran groups, why they had to do what they did, why they were springing up after the Taliban took Kabul and helping get Americans out and helping get Afghan special forces out and helping get Afghan interpreters out. The reason why this had to happen is because the Biden administration did no planning for this scenario whatsoever. The State Department had no ability to get these people out. We were completely overwhelmed at the airport and we were completely at the mercy of the Taliban, who we had been fighting until five seconds before and actually got into some fights at the airport with as well, which is something we can talk about a little which, bit more. Which has never been reported yet. Um, but all of this happened. These veteran groups had to spring up and spring into action because the State Department was MIA and the Biden administration was MIA. And if these groups hadn't sprung up, if private Americans, some of them flying to Afghanistan and working on the ground, some of them working, you know, 24-7 at their dinner tables and emptying their 401ks to pay for it and emptying their 401ks to pay for it, to get flights, to get people out. 
if these private groups hadn't sprung up, there would have been a lot more Americans and a lot more Afghan allies left behind. A word from our sponsor here, Tunnel Towers. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel Towers Foundation has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free homes. This year alone, hundreds of Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 Homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Tell me about this. You mentioned it. Tell me about the fights with the Taliban at the airport. Yeah, so we, uh, as, as part of this, we, we spoke to hundreds of individuals over the course of a year and a half. And they range from you know, the, the private first class, manning the gates, manning the wall, to um, individuals like the, uh, the, the chief of staff for Special Operations Command that I just mentioned, uh, Colonel Seth Kermridge. And in the course of all of that, we have learned a lot of things that the administration absolutely did not want to acknowledge. And uh, as, as a preface to what I'm about to tell you, the the administration's line over and over, you'd see, you know, Kirby, um, you'd see, you know, Saki, um, uh, Secretary of Defense Austin, all of them, they would say, well, we're partnering with the Taliban and they've been businesslike and professional and they're helping us with this evacu- like evacuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had to do that because, well, there was almost no other choice because we were surrounded on a few square miles of airfield. But the fact of the matter is that the Taliban wasn't businesslike and professional at all. Uh, when uh, uh, they, they got wind that we might that the administration was considering extending past uh, August 30th because they knew that they would, if they didn't, they would leave Americans behind. The Taliban told them in no uncertain terms that they'd attack the airfield and the administration bent the knee. But what happened on August 27th, which was the day after the bombing, which is the anecdote that I, I referenced, was a, um, a squad size element of Taliban fighters cut the wire at Hkaya and climbed over the gates and were armed and um, ended up being confronted by paratroopers in the 82nd Airborne Division at, who um, raced to kind of cover that, that area at, at once they were moving in and they exchanged, there was, there was a firefight. That, that was never reported. And we, we spoke to almost every single member of that squad. And um, what, what, what was that Taliban Taliban uh, element trying to accomplish? Just, just I think they, Americans. Basically, it was it was kind of a to uh, I think the easiest way to uh, to explain that is just through the uh, soldiers' words themselves. And we asked them that question, and they said it was basically they um, they felt that it was, it was kind of a probing operation to see what our security was at the very end as we were drawing down, putting people on planes, getting out. They're only, you know, um, our footprint was getting smaller and the ability to defend Americans uh, was was kind of getting weaker and they were trying to figure out what those points were. Jerry, I guess they got hit, 
Yeah. Jerry's going to say, what do we know about who was left behind and is perhaps still left behind? Yeah. So um, there were many hundreds of Americans left behind. there, the, the, you know, confirmed numbers range well over a thousand and probably into the thousands of Americans who were who were left behind in Afghanistan. Obviously, tens of thousands of Afghan allies left behind as well. Um, there are still Americans who are uh, stuck in Afghanistan. There are a number of Americans hostage by the Taliban as we speak as well. Um, something that the Biden administration doesn't like to talk about very much, but there are Americans currently being held hostage by the Taliban. Um, and all of this goes back to, I think, the, the, the reliance that we had on the Taliban and that the U.S. still has on the Taliban because of the leverage that they have over Americans being held hostage, the leverage that they have over the Afghan allies being left behind. And to go back to this business-like and professional um, mantra that the Biden administration had about the Taliban, you know, we talked to service members who were there on the ground at HKIA who talked about how the Taliban was beating people. The Taliban was executing Afghans in front of them, in plain sight. Um, the, Afghan, the, the, the Taliban was turning Americans away. Um, from the gate and would beat Americans as well. Um, Through all of this, these service members were not given the authority to deal with these Taliban threats, to stop to intervene, to stop the Taliban from beating up Americans and from beating up and killing the Afghan allies who were trying to escape. Um, So, you know, an issue that gets brought up a lot by the people we talk to is this one of like moral injury. And a lot of the service members there feel that because they had to witness things that no person should ever have to witness. And the things that they saw the Taliban doing to people, um, you know, it's horrific to hear. And I can't even imagine what it was like to see. Yeah. And uh, to add one more, you know, kind of small anecdote about, Americans left behind. Um, you know, we we talked to a number of, of those folks, and uh, one story I can tell you is that there was a, a family of American citizens uh, who were living in Kabul. The, the dad worked for the World Bank, and um, there were um, you know, no there was no guidance. There was no help from the State Department, from the American government to help them get out. And um, they ended up contacting a um, administration official who we, we, we spoke with, who did it in his private capacity because he asked the State Department for help and they weren't able to do it. And the way that that played out was the family informed him that they were gonna make a seven hour drive from Kabul to the Afghanistan-Pakistan border. and. Um, that they, um, you know, supposedly there would be World Bank representatives waiting for them, but they asked for American diplomatic assistance on the other side of the border. They showed up, um, for whatever reason, the World Bank folks weren't there, but there was nobody from the embassy. And their, you know, their eight-year-old son had to watch the Taliban um, absolutely 
beating the crap out of you know a bunch of people who were also trying to escape right right in front of them, and they had to go back to Kabul, and they ended up getting out, you know, a few weeks later on a second attempt. But again, not because the State Department was there to greet them, because the World Bank helped rescue Americans when the United States government uh, abdicated its duty. Which, as we talk, as we talk now, gentlemen, um, what is the state of play? In Afghanistan, Taliban is in charge. So after 20 years of war, Taliban is now the government, whether we recognize it or not, official or not, they are the government of Afghanistan, right? Are we going to get the people who have been left behind out? Is there any effort by the Biden administration to get them out? Yeah, well, when it comes to the state of play in Afghanistan right now, obviously the Taliban is back in charge. And when you look at who is in charge in the Taliban, and this is true, pretty much and the same people as who were in charge in Afghanistan and the Taliban on 9-11, either the same people or their sons. Um, and so it's a pretty tragic uh, situation. And one, one thing to note about the current Taliban government is that, you know, Joe Biden in his withdrawal speech, uh, when he announced in April 2021, he tried to claim that al-Qaeda was gone from Afghanistan. And he's claimed that throughout 2021, he's claimed it, you know, earlier this year, that Al-Qaeda is gone, even a few weeks ago. There are members, top members of the Taliban government, their deputy uh, intelligence director, the governor of Kabul province, who are dual-handed members of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. So it's it's not just that Al-Qaeda is still in Afghanistan and that the Taliban is still allied with Al-Qaeda. There are dual-headed members of Al-Qaeda in the Taliban government. And of course, you had Ayman al-Zawahiri show up in Kabul and living in the safe house of Sirajuddin Haqqani, one of the top members of the Taliban um, last year. So, you know, this is a a pretty uh, dire situation when it comes to um, who's in charge in Afghanistan. And the Biden administration is just lying through its teeth about it. Take your energy and multiply it by two. That's how good and healthy and energy filled you're likely to feel when you subscribe at Chalk's Male Vitality Stack. This is an all natural set of supplements designed for everyday consumption and meant to provide you with the stamina, focus, and energy to be your very best. Chalk's been at this for some time, making best in class supplements with a focus on allowing you to live your fullest days. Unlike a lot of supplement companies, they don't try to put them into retail stores, but instead build a direct relationship with you as you become a customer of theirs. They want to know about your experience and what else might help you. Start online today at chalk.com. Whether it's their male vitality stack product or their line of products for both men and women, you'll like the way you feel. Chalk.com, that's C-H-O-Q.com. Save 35% off any Chalk subscription for life when you use my name, Buck, at checkout. Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com, and use my name, Buck, for 35% off. All right, gentlemen, um... I just want to remind everyone that the book is Kabul, the untold story of Biden's fiasco and the American warriors who fought to the end. I'm speaking to the two authors, Jerry Dunleavy and James Hassan right now uh, about this. Uh, and I'll just give you either of you or both of you the last word. Do you think that there will be any accountability for this disaster when it comes to the Biden administration, the top of the military apparatus? What do you think? Uh, well, that's why we wrote the book, to do that and to uh, to tell the stories of everyone who was there. 
and to remember and, and honor the legacies of the 13 Americans who were killed um, at Kabul Airfield. And what I can promise you is that uh, you know, we, we kind of scratched the surface here today, but there is there is a, a whole lot coming that, um, you know, whether the American public holds them accountable is, is a different question, but that will be in the public record for, uh, you know, for all history. And, and that's a form of accountability in itself. Uh, I'll let the uh, congressional investigator over here uh, yeah. so, say his piece. You know, what I, what I would say on the accountability front, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave the audience with sort of one big thing that, that, that we uncovered. Um, but when it comes to accountability, part of it is going to be telling the full story about what happened there. And in the course of our investigation, um, we found Pentagon documents and records showing um, that the United States had, was tracking and surveilling ISIS-K cells in Afghanistan post and takeover and pre the bombing of Abbey Gate. And we, uh, these Pentagon records show that the U.S. military asked the Taliban to raid what the U.S. believed was a known location of ISIS-K close to the airport. Of the suicide bomber. And the Taliban declined to do so. And we also found Pentagon records showing that um, the U.S. was tracking the, these ISIS-K cells, we believe likely in Nangarhar and in Kabul, and that uh, strike authority was requested by um, the lower rungs of the U.S. military to conduct strikes against ISIS-K before the Abbey Gate bombing. And those requests were denied because of how the Taliban might react. Um, and so there's a lot more to unearth and explore there, um, but that is something new and fairly shocking that, that we found. Um, and combined with the testimony from Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, the Marine sniper um, who testified to Congress, to the committee I worked for, that he had been given, he and the Marines had been given a description of the ISIS-K bomber before the bombing and believed that they had spotted the bomber in the crowd. And when they asked for permission to take the bomber out, that permission was denied because their higher up didn't know, didn't have that authority himself and never got back to them about who had that authority or who could give it to them. The bomber disappeared into the crowd and conducted his attack shortly after that. And, and to this day, the, the administration has never named the bomber and they always claim that uh, there was no, they weren't tracking anyone in particular or they weren't, uh, you know, aware of the threat that he posed. And that's that's just completely incorrect for two reasons, or I could show that's completely false for two reasons. Um, one, we, we identified who the bomber was, and we took his picture to some of the Marines on the ground, and they said that he was in there. Um, they had received the same picture of uh, that individual to look out for. So it, it, combined with everything else we just told you, it cannot be the case that 
the administration had no idea this person was a threat and was not tracking him. And also that the picture was distributed to military um, service members on the ground to keep an eye out for him because he might be conducting bombing. Gentlemen, it's a very important story. I appreciate you taking the time to, of course, write the book and then to come on here and tell everybody about it. Cobble, the untold story of Biden's fiasco and the American warriors who fought to the end. James and Jerry, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Buck. Thanks, Buck. Appreciate it. Who is there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans? And who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs comprise their in-the-line-of-duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me, because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org. Or call or text 988, available 24-7. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.